Good morning, everyone. You're listening to The Sci-Files, an exposure segment featuring Michigan State University student research. We're your co-hosts, Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Today, we welcome Jacob Bradburn. Jacob, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, um, I'm a fourth-year doctoral student in uh, organizational psychology at Michigan State University. So that's a really interesting term. What does organizational psychology even mean? Yeah, so it's a actually it's a pretty small field of psychology. Um, so we study, basically, we try and apply psychology to the workplace. So we study things like, you know, work-life balance, uh, teams, leadership, employee selection, stuff like that. So what I tell people is we try and make work more effective, efficient, and workers generally more happy in their in their jobs. What I'm picturing is like the people who come and train companies and whatnot on how to be more effective and better at team working, right? Yeah, that's a big part of what we do. Training is, is a huge part of our field. You know, training teams to be more effective, uh, managers to be more effective, just individuals on how to do their jobs more effectively, efficiently. So then what is the difference between a human resource person and an organizational psychologist? Uh, so there's actually a lot of uh, overlap between what we do and human resources. So a lot of people in my field who um, kind of go the applied route um, tend to go into the HR, HR function, apply what we learn as far as training, you know, how to manage individuals and um, better organizations within the HR function. What do you focus on particularly? Um, so my focus is on um, employee selection. So how do we pick the best employees for different positions? It tends to be what my, uh, my content focus is. So what do I have to do then to get my next job is what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, good question. Be the right fit for the position. <laughs> That's not helpful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's okay. And then with this being your fourth year, what have you seen so far then? Yeah. So I tend to focus on things like personality and interests and how those relate to your performance in the job or your experience in the workplace. So I look at things um, like do your interests, what you want to do, actually match what the work is and the different outcomes that kind of um, – result from that and does your personality match the context of the work and what that how, the, how does that relate to your performance and satisfaction things like that on the job can you give me an example please because there's so many different personalities out there that could be still fitting for one job sure so let's say um, you're in a sales position right um, sales involves a lot of interaction between individuals I'm trying to sell a product and do you have the extroversion needed to actually sell that product, interact with individuals effectively, and enjoy that experience. Um, someone who has a lot of extroversion might really like that role and thrive in it, With someone who has a limited amount of extroversion or more introverted might find that role more challenging to be effective in or might not necessarily be as satisfied in that position as someone else. You got me thinking. How does an organizational psychologist perform research on different studies like this? So a lot of times we'll partner with organizations that kind of want the assistance of somebody who has an organizational psychology background or wants us to look at a certain area within the organization, and we'll partner with them as far as to collect the data to conduct the study and things like that. So a lot of what we do is partnering with external organizations to, that, to have access to um, their employees and their organization and the structure that they're in. We're also just, you know, having students uh, as part of our research as well. Do you use surveys or do you actually go and talk to the people? Are you allowed to interact with them? So a lot of times we use um, survey work, so asking people things like, do you enjoy your job? Do you enjoy what you do? Do you, um, do you feel engaged in the in work? Um, so that's a big part of how we collect data is using surveys. 
the other way is assessments, like personality assessments, personality inventories, interest inventories, things like that. So a lot of that is um, survey work. It's, it's primarily what we do, although some of that is changing. I would make the argument that as time has gone on, the way that employers determine who they're going to hire has also changed. How do you see it changing in the future? And what do you think about that? So I would agree with that. I think that things have changed considerably since earlier times as far as how people are selected for positions. So a lot of times, maybe back 50, 60, 70 years ago, however back you want to look, it was more, I know this person, I need a job filled, so I'm going to hire this person I know. More referrals, things like that. So a lot of organizations have moved to more standardized processes, like using assessments and things that I kind of specialize in to um, pick individuals as opposed to kind of those referrals or just we need someone to do this role. So using that kind of more standardized process is how things kind of changed. I think because the internet basically has opened up so much uh, flexibility in terms of applying for a job, I mean, now instead of a few candidates who work in the same city, you have thousands from all over the world, things have become more standardized to handle that massive volume of applications and the flow. When people are applying for a job, a lot of people are sometimes worried that they don't have enough experience versus people who have more experience or have more age with them as well. How do employers find that balance between someone who can be young and molded but with not enough experience versus someone who's older but more experienced and more qualified for the job? I think a lot of what employers are looking for are individuals who have those core sense of competencies that can make them an effective candidate, an effective employee. So even if you don't have the experience, do you have the, you know, the personality or the interest, the other characteristics that will make you an effective candidate with time? Experience is important, but if you don't have the core necessary capabilities to be effective in that role, your experience doesn't really mean a lot. You just have an experience and been ineffective. How do they assess your personality? Like, how can you tell who someone is just from an interview? Because in an interview, someone is so nervous and whatnot, they, they might not even be who they really are. They're just trying to impress someone. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a lot of times individuals use assessments, so personality assessments, asking you about your tendencies. So do you tend to like parties is kind of the, the classic extroversion question. Um, are you detail-oriented? Do you follow through on your commitments? Do you um, generally get along with individuals? And from those questions, you can boil it down to an individual's behavioral tendencies and their personality. But if you're asking me on an interview, am I detail-oriented, of course I'm going to say yes because I want the job. <laughs> That's the, the classic problem. Uh, so we have found some ways to fix that. So a lot of times some of the newer assessments use um, two equally desirable characteristics. So they'll ask you, are you detail-oriented? And do you get along with people? And you have to pick which one you agree with more. And through some statistics, they're able to, deci to decipher um, your personality comparing those two answers over a large number of questions. I read an article recently about how Amazon uses an artificial intelligence program to monitor the productivity of their employees and have even used their AI to fire people. How do you see artificial intelligence being integrated in the job processing and job hiring of new employees? Yeah, that's a great question. That's something that we're moving into now as a field, exploring um, alternative or um, artificial intelligence and how it can be integrated to th into things like hiring um, and employee management. There is a lot of promise in those techniques, but the difficulty with those techniques is that a lot of times when you put information into those AI models, you're not really sure what is predicting what, how things are being used. 
and a lot of times what comes out doesn't make a lot of sense. So you really need to understand the theory behind why this relates to this and why this would happen because of this to make sense of that data. So I might find that after I dump a ton of information into an AI model, I might find that the color of someone's shoes predicts their performance. Well, obviously, that doesn't make sense. So that probably isn't a real phenomenon that's happening. It's probably some quirk in the data. And having the solid theory and understanding of individual differences and organizational psychology helps you tease apart what is most likely noise and what isn't. How will this then change the psychology of hiring? That's a good question. I think that these models can pick up on things that individuals have a difficult time distinguishing, um, like certain patterns within your words and certain patterns within somebody's past work experience. And that information can be used in the hiring context along with more traditional assessments like interviews and personality assessments and things like that. But then again, you have to kind of consider it in tandem with what makes sense from the output of that model. Is what that model is telling you, does it actually make sense when you consider the theory behind it and the constructs themselves? When you guys are looking at all of this, do you look at how people would interact with each other? Like, for example, how someone would be if they're new, how they would interact with people who already are working there? Um, A lot of times that type of stuff is picked up in interviews. So a lot of times when people interview, one of the things people pick up on is interpersonal skills. And um, can they interact effectively with the manager and respond effectively and efficiently to the question? It's less about interacting with the current individuals there. And it, that's kind of a sample of, with the manager, the, the interpersonal skills of the individual. That's kind of what people use. In regards to your own research, what has that experience even been like? It's been great. Um, I've partnered with a lot of organizations that I think have been great to work with. I've got to do a lot of interesting um, studies and with some fun data. Uh, it's been a really good experience in terms of using that data to you know, further the field of, of hiring and hopefully make a difference in terms of how organizations are using this information. You mentioned that you've done multiple studies. What are some of your favorite studies that you've conducted? Yeah, so a really interesting study we just completed last year was looking at helping behavior in the workplace. So there's two types of helping behavior. There's reactive, where someone comes to you for help, and there's proactive, where you seek out someone and uh, provide assistance to them um, without them asking. So we looked at those different help behaviors and how they actually relate to gratitude. Does somebody express thanks for being helped? And we actually found that um, reactive helping was related to gratitude received, but proactive helping wasn't, which is kind of an interesting finding because you kind of expect that when you go out of your way to help someone without being asked, they might express more gratitude than if you came to them and asked them for help. Um, what we kind of found when we dug into some additional data was that a lot of times people found that experience of someone kind of stepping up and helping them as almost intrusive, um, that when they kind of stepped in without being asked, they were stepping on toes, they didn't really know how they needed help and when someone kind of waited for someone to approach them and ask for help, they're better able to understand the situation. The person was able to try um, themselves and understand the situation and really realize that they need help instead of someone assuming that they need help. So that was kind of a fun study to do. Um, in addition to that, we found that when you receive gratitude in your, from your coworkers, you tend to be more engaged the next day at work, which is very interesting as well. All right. So what I'm gathering from what you're saying is that people are more grateful whenever they actually seek the help. But does your study take into account people that are super stubborn and don't like to ask for help? (laughs) No, that's something we hope to look at in a future study. But um, in general, people tend to be more receptive to to help, not grateful for help when they seek it out themselves instead of it's provided to them without the request. Do they voice their gratitude by saying thank you? Or do you feel like people express gratitude in different ways? I think that it's a... Definitely individual difference in terms of how people express gratitude. 
I might say, you know, thank you very much for helping me with this. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. When someone else might say, thanks, and kind of go about their day or just, you know, kind of be those nonverbal indications that they were thank- they were very grateful of the, the help. Um, I would say from our study, what I would recommend is say thanks, say thanks a lot. Gratitude's good. It leads to the people feeling more engaged in the workplace the next day. And I think it also helps people understand that their help is appreciated. Whenever you're doing this research, you're collecting all these different surveys and assessments. How do you analyze this information? And how do you quantitatively determine whether or not certain things are significant? Yeah, so we tend to use techniques like regression, analysis of variance, um, t-test, not as much. We are starting to move in a field more towards machine learning. I think it's a really interesting route to go. Um, some of the more advanced techniques like support vector machines and random forests and things like that. But a lot of times we um, use user regression to see how things are related, correlations, things like that. Could you tell us a little bit about what regression is, actually? Yeah, so regression um, tries to determine if there is a statistically significant relationship. And by statistically significant relationship, I mean, um, is the relationship between things more than likely uh, not due to chance? So when I analyze data, those techniques tell me if that relationship, if I do find one between, let's say, personality like extroversion and performance, is actually something that is a true relationship or something that's just kind of a quirk within the data. How many people are you surveying for it to be a significant quantity? Oh, well, um, I think our biggest data set was on 40,000 people um, that I've used. Did you say 40,000? Yeah, 40,000 people. Wow. Um, we've had data sets that are obviously much, much smaller than that, like, you know, 60 to 100. Um, but the more data, the better, honestly, in, in this area. Um, and it really helps you tease apart what is noise and what is a true effect, a true relationship between things. What's the least amount of people that you can study in a group for it to actually be significant? Um, so it depends on the actual thing that you're looking at, the effects, the size of the effect. If something is huge, the size of the relationship between things are, are really big, you don't need as many people. Um, if it's really small, you need a lot of people to make sure that it isn't just kind of noise and not a real effect within the data. So that's a huge driver of how many people you actually need. Um, but again, the more it tends to be better. But there's limitations, obviously, with um, funding and things like that. What study are you planning to do for your doctoral thesis? So for my, uh, my doctoral degree, I want to conduct a study looking at what people are interested in and does that change day to day? So in our, our field, we look at these things called vocational interests. And it's kind of what the work that you like to do. What do you prefer to do? Some people prefer social activities, some people prefer more um, artistic activities, things like that. So, and we tend to consider those as pretty stable. So day to day, you know, year to year, people's interests don't change that much. Over decades they can, but it tends to t- people assume they're pretty stable. I think that from day to day, our interests do change. Someday I might want to do something more social, someday something more artistic, someday something more conventional, something, you know, very, very straightforward. And my study is going to look at those day-to-day fluctuations and what work people would like to do. Um, does it change? Does it not change? Is it stable? How stable is it? That, those are the type of questions I want to ask. I think that's awesome because I'm someone who has a lot of interests. Like, I study the bladder, but I'm a henna artist and whatnot. Do your interests define kind of who you are and what you're doing for that day? Like, what if I wanted to draw something in the morning? And if I didn't get to draw that, like, would that affect me for the rest of the day? So the research in the interest shows that people who are interested in what they're doing 
tend to be more satisfied, more productive, um, tend to persist longer. So I would say that if you're not interested in what you're doing, I mean, it kind of follows that you wouldn't be very interested. You wouldn't persist in it. You wouldn't be very satisfied and you probably wouldn't do a very good job. Um, so that's generally what the research says in terms of um, interest. That match is really important between what you want to do and what you get to do. And if you don't have it, it isn't great as an employee or for the employer themselves. Do you think people's interests define who they are and what they want to be, like their career? I think it's a big part of what we end up doing is our interests. Our interests kind of push us towards certain behaviors, certain experiences, certain tasks, certain jobs, as opposed to others. And I think as we move towards those those experiences, they kind of reaffirm those interests. Um, so I think our interests really drive us to be who we are in a way. Um, again, well, people can go to in to things they are interested in. They can't end up in those positions because there's other factors involved as far as, like, is there a job that I actually want to do? What's the pay like? But I think in a lot of ways, people still kind of drift towards the work they like to do, like to do even when those factors are in play. We have a lot of listeners here at WDBM that have varying interests, and some of them might be on the job market right now. What advice would you give to them in order to help them balance their interests as well as their ability to find a job? So the, the first piece of advice I'd give to someone who isn't really sure what their interests are and how they should use their interests when looking for, for a job would be to take a test to find out what your interests are. There are a ton of resources online as far as um, assessing your interests, and I'll tell you exactly what your profile looks like. That can kind of be a critical piece of information that you use when you look for a job. Find a job that matches those interests. And I would say that when you're on the job market, things such as pay and you know things like that are very important, but don't neglect your interests. If you don't like the work, I mean, the research shows you're not going to be satisfied, you're not going to be as productive, you're not going to stay there. So really consider your interests um, in tandem with those other those other factors. And if you do end up in a position where maybe you don't find the work quite as interesting as you you'd prefer, it doesn't quite match as well your interests, um, and get into something called job crafting, where you kind of tailor the job to yourself. Maybe you really like the social aspects of the job. Volunteer to be on committees or work with other individuals more than you maybe would if you didn't have those interests. So craft the job to what you like to do as much as you can. You do end up in a, in a, up in a job where your interests don't quite align. That's great advice. What made you interested in this type of research? I study a lot of individual differences, um, and those are the things that make us distinct as far as um, people, like what my personality is, what my interests are, what my other um, characteristics are as, as a person. I think that's fascinating because th those things are what makes us unique as people, those characteristics. And I think the interplay between my individual differences and who I am as a person in the workplace and the experiences I have in the workplace and those different contexts the interplay is fascinating. So I think that's what drew me to this research is that really complex interplay between the person and the job or the organization or the team, et cetera. We talked a lot about interests. What about yours, Jacob? Sure. Um, I, I love research. I mean, that's why I'm in grad school is I, I love questions. Um, I love taking an idea and really diving into it and trying to understand that concept fully. So that's one of my interests is in, um, into research and questions and ideas and Beyond that, I just so <laughs> I'm very I'm social. I like I like hanging out with friends and family. I'm investigative. That's one of the interests. That's why I like research so much. I'm conventional. I like data analysis, things like that. 
Um, so that, those, that's kind of how my interest profile relates to what I like to do. Um, beyond that, I like, my, <laughs> I like cats. I like my cat. I like uh, fishing. I like uh, things like that. I love cats, but <laughs> you mentioned that you're social. Uh, what do you do socially? Like, are you involved in anything on campus? Beyond the classroom, I've tried to be involved on campus as much as possible. So I've been involved with an organization called MSU SciComm. And their mission is to share science with a broader audience, uh, learn how to communicate our, our sciences and our research to people outside of our field. Um, and that's something I found really rewarding as far as um, getting our science out there. We all do so, such cool stuff as scientists. I want to share that with the world, and that organization has been a, um, a great conduit to, to do so. Just like this radio show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if anyone else is interested in sharing their science to the East Lansing community, you're welcome to email us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. What does someone getting a doctorate in organizational psychology do for a career? You mentioned science communication, and there's careers in that. Are you interested in a career in that, or more towards, like, hard science? Yeah, so I think my interest after grad school is to go into industry. And in a way, it's because of science communication. I want to share what we do as a field with others. You know, I don't I, I publish is important, I think, the research is important, but I also want to be on the ground and take that information and show an organization, look, I can make this employee selection system better. I can help train these individuals better. I can help make this organization better by using the science. So um, after grad school, I want to move into the industry position to use that science, communicate it to that broader audience to make an impact on the organization. One last question, Jacob. What is the difference between a private organizational psychologist that's employed by a company versus one that's doing research for a public university? The main difference is the focus on application versus the research. When you're in, in a public university or in a university in an academic setting, your bottom line is, is really um, a lot of it is, is teaching and research productivity. When you're in a private organization, you are really focused on applying that science and that research to specific problems, and less about publishing, although there are you know, great scientists and organizations who do publish. Um, a lot of it is really taking that information and, and, and using it to solve some organizational pro- problem. Thanks so much, Jacob, for taking the time to join us and share with us all the incredible case studies that you've worked on. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Thank you to all of our listeners that joined us this week. And remember, the truth is in the science. Any comments and questions can be directed to scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll see you all next week on SciFiles.